0: The Start On On
1: Demand. demand.
2: The disaster in B.C. is providing more proof that flood threats are on the rise. Today we discussed the mitigation and insurance strategies we need. Fighting the stream of misinformation pertaining to COVID-19. How one expert known as the germ guy hits back. A gigantic win for Canada on the international soccer stage in a crazy, wintry scene in Edmonton. And we had a good time today talking about times that you accidentally made your boss's life hell. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 17th podcast for the start. McGarry and McNabb. It feels like minus seven thanks to a wind that is west southwest 37, gusting to 53 kilometers an hour. And as Kayla was saying, it sounds like it's going to get stronger throughout the day. Loren, what did it sound like out south of Winnipeg?
3: Silence, apparently, is what it sounded like. Dead still. (laughs) south of Winnipeg. I can tell you on Henderson Highway on the way in this morning, Brett, I could already feel the wind kind of uh, against my vehicle as I was uh, driving across Chief Peguist Trail and then turning on to Henderson Highway, even though it's not snowing at all right now, you could see the wind picking up the snow and throwing it across the road just ever so slightly. So that wind was already an issue at 3.30 this morning.
2: Do we have Loren now?
4: I'm here. I was here the whole time. I think he just was hearing an echo. So okay. is it better now, Fortier? Everything sound okay? Sounds okay it's, on our end. better now. Okay. I got to be honest. I, went, I ran upstairs to get a coffee, and what I do is I put my mic down next to the headphones, and if I think if they're too close together, maybe something happens. Okay. You get the feedback from the sound from the headphones. I don't know.
2: That makes sense, because we used to have, um, quick sidebar, There's just a funny story, I think, <laughs> Roy Green who hosts a great show on the weekends. I hear, I remember yep. when he was filling in years ago when I was Charles Adler's technical producer when he had that national show in the afternoon. So Roy Green was filling in for him, and Roy was in Montreal. And um, I don't know what sort of setup he had, but at, he had the, the headphones maxed out, like all the way up to 10 or whatever. And uh, he's talking to the engineer, and I can hear him talking to the engineer saying, I need more, I need louder headphones. And he says, well, that... That's as loud as they go. He had to bring in like an extra amp, like an extra power source to boost the audio. So I could hear (laughs) there was one time where I shouted at Roy, Roy, we got to get out. And you could hear me <laughs> through, through the, the headphones. Mi- headphones into the microphone.
3: He <laughs> had the spinal tap headphones. They went to eleven. Yeah.
4: Well, I crank up my headphones too because I'll put them on the ground, then I'll crank up the volume, and then whatever if you know if I'm rushing doing something with the kids or going upstairs to grab water, uh, and I do that so that I can hear wherever I am. Like this, you know, where we are in the show, because I get easily distracted and then have to race like as fast as I can down the stairs. Like, oh my god, that sounds like weather already. I better get downstairs. So.
3: We need a camera crew following you around in the morning. <laughs> I think that would be just as entertaining, maybe more so than what we do every morning.
4: <laughs> my husband took a picture of me the other day to send to my mom because he's like, I cannot believe what you're wearing right now. Batman pants. Sound- well, you're. So- I can't even. I can't even tell you. Well you sounding- <laughs> <laughs> while you're sounding so professional. <laughs> anyway, you know, clothes don't necessarily make the person. That's
2: right. And it doesn't matter what... uh, We can't see you. I can see Greg. Greg's wearing a (laughs) nice-looking Jets uh, thing. You're looking very dapper, by the way, Greg, yesterday shooting a second round of commercials. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, So, yeah, we should share some of those pictures. Half
3: an hour in a makeup chair can
2: do wonderful things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so back to this wind. It's going to be a windy day. And, like, for me, it was... um, interesting this morning just taking a shower if it's windy outside the it it, it forces its way into our vents and for whatever reason my shower vent is the worst spot so i kept turning the the hot water up (laughs) because the top of my head was freezing under (laughs) this vent. yeah oh that's something else yeah so the whenever it's windy it sounds like the the buildings are going to collapse and um Ocean
3: spray in your shower.
2: Yeah. From the wind. Yeah, that's right. So we'll have to keep an eye on that throughout the day because if it, if it does start to snow, then that blowing snow is going to be an issue. And like, Loren, I don't spend a lot of time driving on the highway, but when that when, when that snow starts blowing on the highway, how stressful is that?
4: Well, it changes the way you drive and the routes you might take. I'll be honest. Like, if I know, if I was, say, going in on a day like today, there are different highways I might choose that have trees next to them. For me, I like that because it provides a bit more of a um, shelter, right? The, the winds are pushing across and different sections of 59 might be more blustery than 75, depending on which direction the wind is coming from. So I'm, you're, I'm well aware of it and where it goes depends on if I want to take an east route. East, west dirt road or try to, you know, turkey trail my way in. I will change every way I drive depending on what's going on with that wind. Turkey I,
3: trail. I like that. You know, that. where
4: you like kind of wind your way in. There have been days, uh, where I will, I have driven down the highway because, you know, you're coming, I'll go east first, for example, over to 59 and you think, okay, I, not a big deal. I can handle it. You turn north and you realize, okay, well, the wind was coming from the west or southwest and now you're just in a, a pure whiteout. There have been moments where I've been gripping the, wheel so tight that my hands have hurt for days because I was so worried about what might come at me or behind me. And uh, nothing's worse than a whiteout, a whiteout, I think.
3: So you snuck in Turkey Trail and missed the opportunity to use Shelter Belt. I was going to, I, I just about <laughs> said
4: Shelter Belt and I thought these guys will just make fun of me. So I'm leaving Shelter Belt out of
3: it. If you don't say it, we're going to make fun of you. If you do say it, we're going to make fun of you because you, you're you the too. only person
4: in I'm Winnipeg the who knows person. what a Shelter Belt is. No way! Lots of people know what shelter belts are. Once again, we're just teasing
2: you. I don't. I can't. I I forgot all about that. I wouldn't have made fun of you on that one, though. The rest. Thank
4: you.
2: I think it's kind of neat here. Like I just learned turkey trail the other day when our listener sent us that picture of that giant kettle uh, that's somewhere in Winnipeg, and they said I followed the turkey trails and it led me here, and they took a picture of that kettle. So I never heard turkey trail, and when I first heard shelter belt, thought I don't know what that is, but. It sounds kind of neat. Oh, the kettle on the
3: uh, Rapid Trans, Southwest Transit Corridor on the, on the bike path.
2: Yeah,
5: so Turkey oh, yeah. Trails, neat.
2: Shelter Belt. If you want to tell us something else, let us know. 204-780-6868. Another weird term that we might not know. We start this half hour on a frigid night in Edmonton. It was such a cold night to do anything outdoors, let alone play or watch the beautiful game.
3: Brett, it was a beautiful result as Canada defeated Mexico in World Cup, qualifying minus nine at kickoff with a minus 14 wind chill. Talk about home field advantage against the Mexicans. There were a couple of terrific terms floating around last night in connection with a nickname, for Commonwealth Stadium, here's one the Blue Bombers can steal for the West Final, the Frozen Fortress. Nice. Yes, and a marvelous play on words here, Loren. The big stadium and home of the national team in Mexico, sta- uh, Mexico City rather, is Azteca. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, somebody dubbed Commonwealth ice Teca. And it caught on, so I I thought that was fabulous. Well done. (laughs) Now, Cameron Poitras joins us now, and Cam, we want to get the terminology correct here. Canada now sits at the top of the CONCACAF table following last night's 2-1 result. This is beyond fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you're wondering about what Concacaf means, I think you better start learning because I don't think this is going to be this is going to be a big story for I don't know. This is going to be a year because I'm all in on this team. I've been all in for months and months now. Uh, but Concacaf uh, stands for just to make sure I get this right: Confederation of North Central American and Caribbean Association Football. Concacaf. <laughs> well
4: done. So that's with, it. Just so, stick with Concacaf.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Concacaf sounds much better.
4: <laughs> well, the, the win is so fabulous to see. And I was, what I was amazed by last night, you know, as I was watching the Jets game, I was like, I got to switch over to the soccer because so, so many people on my Twitter feed were watching the game. And of course, we all know Canada women are reigning Olympic champions. Yeah. But based on just the how many people were into this game last night, I mean, it's clear that this is really huge for Canadian soccer over all this men's win.
1: It's its really starting to take off, and, and this is just the way that things are going. I mean, Canada's in the middle of a sort of a demographic shift, and I think this is kind of a good thing that all of our athletes don't just get sucked up into hockey. There's going to be more of a spread out here. And, you know... <sighs> The Canadian team, particularly the women's team, has been fantastic for a number of, number of years here, one of the top 10 teams in the world almost consistently. The Canadian men w- could not find a way to score a goal. If anybody's been following the men's national team for years, they were able to hang in on games. They played a great defensive structure, but when it came to scoring, they couldn't do it. They would lose games 1 0 to Aruba, and then they would lose to Bermuda, and then they would lose to, uh, name this, uh, Barbados, and, and these little tiny little Caribbean nations they just couldn't beat because they didn't have anybody that could score. Now they have Alfonso Davies who was getting double teamed all throughout the game. Uh Kyle Laren scored twice. He's now like tied for the most goals by a Canadian uh, for the men's national team. They have Jonathan David who's playing for a big club in France. They have the stars. They have the guys who can now put put the ball in the net and things are starting to come together. It's it's incredible. So
3: I don't want to get too soccery, Cam, but uh, I was fascinated by the fact the mexicans were the ones who wanted to slow the game down because in in my memory and my soccer experience that's something the less talented teams Tend to do against a stronger opponent, and uh, was the referee an actual coach for
1: Team Mexico? Uh, he was from Guatemala. The, the, the referee, whiz. and he was wild. He was getting in people's faces and screaming. Yeah. Like he knocked he was, down a guy at one point. He was running at people and just like getting in their face. And like I was just like, "What? Just dude, chill out a little bit." Uh, but uh, I, I think the Mexicans were frozen. I think they were absolutely frozen. I when they were singing the national anthems right off the bat there. Um, they, those guys, I saw some blue lips, there were some shivering legs and I think that they were absolutely frozen. I, I didn't know, I don't know what, I don't think that they knew what, what to do with the cold. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that they've ever played a game this far North. Um, I, I don't think they've ever played a game in these conditions because usually Canada has been out of these tournaments. You know, they're, by a long shot. And in the Americans, you know, about half the country deals with winter, the other half doesn't. And they would tend to play these games, you know, down south. There'd be rarely they'd play a winter a winter game. I don't think that they were ready for the temperatures, and I, I don't think that they could have been ready for them. Well, before, I, I think they were just frozen.
2: Before we move on here, Cam, 50,000 tickets sold, 44,000 in attendance. Should Winnipeg sit up and take notice for the big football match Happening here the first week of December? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. December 5th. Everybody get your tickets. Uh, there's, I, I keep checking the ticket sales every single day. There's still some great seats left. Uh, and don't worry about the cold. Hey, we got to embrace it. That's what this is all about. That's what was going on in Edmonton. A huge event like that for that town. Uh, and uh, we got one coming up here. And it's going to be just as much fun. You're going to watch the bombers spank the stampeders or the riders. doesn't matter who's coming through town, but you're going to get killed. <laughs>
2: Cameron Poitras, he is the co-host of Jets at Noon, and uh, as we have him listed here on our sheet, he's also a soccer lunatic, and we appreciate the passion, Cameron. Thank you very much, sir. We have Friday night SmackDown tickets to give away, January 21st at Canada Life Centre. Now, there is going to be a pre-sale starting today at 10 a.m. until tomorrow at 10 p.m. through Ticketmaster. The code word is SMACK, and then tickets go on sale on Friday. But the conversation we're going to have has to do with dumb things that you've done at work and inadvertently given your boss a headache. And the story goes, um, and it's funny that that I got this text because I was just thinking on, think on Sunday as I pulled my wallet out of my pocket and thought, wow, this is getting a little George Costanz-ish. Because it was full of cab slips. And uh, I realized, oh, it's been a few weeks since I've submitted my cab slip expenses. And then on Monday, I got a sort of friendly reminder from our boss, Heather, saying, hey, uh, do you still take a cab to work? Because it's been a while since we've seen your your cab slips. How long was it, Brad? Well, yeah. let, let me let me tell you. Um, <laughs> we have to submit these slips. It's pretty easy. There's an app. I take a picture of the slip. I punch in a couple of things and send it off in a report. If I did this every week, it'd be no problem. But I, I thought it had been maybe three or four weeks. Um, August 23rd <laughs> was the last time I submitted a cab August slip. I had 50 receipts in my, in my wallet. It took me two hours to sort through them all. 12 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I got that same email. I got that same, I got that same email like three weeks ago. <laughs> How long had it been for you? Oh, it was like two and a half months. Oh, okay. So right I'm, on. D- don't feel that bad. <laughs> anyway, um, so tell us about something dumb that you did at work that gave your boss a headache. 204-780-6868. Loren, why don't we start with you?
4: Okay, so I've worked for this Chicken company. Chicken Charlie's. Now, I'm not. I have so many stories, but I have worked for this company for 21 years, and so I'm not gonna tell any stories related to radio or global because the bosses are still around, and I just feel like I don't need to remind them the things that I've done wrong because then they're like, right, put that in the column for the next time something comes up. So I'm gonna go back to the summer. I want to say '98. Um My parents have a feed mill in Minidosa, and like livestock feeds farm machinery supplies and at one point at least in that year we had two locations so one was also doing you know seed for um the springtime and my dad had just taught me how to run the forklift and of course you know like I'm 19 or 20 and full of I mean I I shouldn't be on a forklift let's be clear but (laughs) he's trying to be getting me to help and so he says I need you to move these pallets of seed like over here and we're reorganizing like this kind of warehouse space so help me out I'm like I got it like Dad, like you've showed me, I'm I'm on it. You know, (laughs) very first, I just got on that forklift and drove right into the pile, like with the metal things out, and not into the part of the pallet where you're supposed to pick it up, but just right into the bags of seed. Oh no! Ooh, that's not good. (laughs) dad so he comes running in he's like what and a lot of expletives later and i said well i'll pay you back i'll pay you back he's like "Ah, uh, each of those bags on there that you just ran through which was like eight is about two to three hundred dollars worth of seed i was like per bag and I was like so how do we want to work how do we want to work this out? Like he's like just turns and looks at me, and he's like, "You're lucky I was going to plant that this year," and that's how I got away with about two thousand sixteen hundred dollars worth of damage, I think. So, thank you, Dad.
2: All right, good one, Jeff braun What about you? This was about twenty years ago, and I was uh,
0: filling in for someone at the radio station, and part of the job that day was to do. Uh, it was called the scheduling at the time, and by that it means just setting the format for the day's programming. Uh, in a technical sense, for the the computer that slots in all the commercials or whatever, so they can you know figure out which commercials go where, yada yada yada. There was a moose game for the day I was doing it when we back when we carried the moose games, and the it had a weird start time. And the moose games always had a half hour pregame show in those days, and so. But because of this weird start time, I just arbitrarily uh, uh, took it upon myself to decide, you know what, we'll do an hour-long pregame show, and that'll make scheduling the day a lot easier. <laughs> and so I just did it without asking anyone, and a few <laughs> hours later, the boss calls me into his office, and I'm like, what in the hell have you done? Uh, like, Kelly's on the road, and now he has to scramble to fill an extra 30 minutes of a pregame show with, like, 18 hours notice, and plus... <laughs> The commercial snafu that I've created because it was, you know, different commercials run during the moose game than would run during regular programming. So, and I just like, I don't know. I thought it would be easier for me. So, I just <laughs> did it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> easier for you. Oh, boy. Sorry, yeah. Kelly. <laughs>
4: uh, 14. uh You know what? I'm going to stay on the, the taxi slip thing because... I haven't. She, she doesn't know this yet, but uh, I got a little problem, and it's going to give her a little bit of a headache because <laughs> after after you you said your story today about the taxi slips, I was like, oh, you know, I got to do that still. I have like three weeks backed up, yeah. And so I'm looking for today's slip in my emails because I get them emailed, and the date is wrong on all of my taxi slips for the past two weeks. Uh, so today's, it's not. November 17th on the taxi slip It says November 16th Yesterday is the day before And the day before has the date
2: from the day before but do, do you? Pre- is month? it because you booked the cab the day before?
4: No, I book it at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning On well, the same the day heck? So it's the cab's fault but hey, boss, you're gonna have a headache coming your way. <laughs> Just let me know right you now. I guarantee you, she's listening right I know, now. You're I know. about to get a phone call. I well, know what, I am.
2: What's funny is she got it. Like, she was looking at our schedule yesterday, like looking at today's schedule, and I got a text message from her saying, "I have a feeling. I know exactly what this is about." Uh, Mackling, what's your story?
3: Well, my, my dad is listening this morning. I've already been texting with him about Turkey trails in the Westman area. And, uh, he would say it's the time I lost the keys to our store. We used to have in Unicity mall back in 1987 fanfare. We had to change all the locks. Sorry, dad. I think I still owe you 600 bucks for that one. Uh, but my boss in Vernon at Earl's, my first night as a manager, have you ever had to lock those double doors in a in a business establishment. There are two little clips yeah. at the top of the bottom yeah. that you have to. Yeah, I didn't know about that my first night. <laughs> and the security guard was going around checking all the doors, and the front doors of the Earl's and Vernon flew open. I was the new guy. The security did not have my phone number, but he had my boss's phone number at three o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Uh-huh. Oh not gosh. the way you wanna start.
2: Manitobans are all too familiar with floods and the damage they can cause, but climate and insurance experts say what's happening in BC is further highlighting the need for more Canadians to pay attention to the growing risks.
4: And I think, Brett, there's sometimes that assumption that, well, if you don't live next to water, you don't really have to worry about it. But our next guest says the risks aren't just limited to people living next to water. His concern is not enough is being done to control this and, and mitigate the risks as you discussed. Blair Feltmate is head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaption at the University Adaptation Rather at the University of Waterloo and joins us now. Good morning, Blair. Good morning. Let's just start with the risk that is out there. Are we seeing more floods?
6: Uh, yes, absolutely. And this is pretty much Climate change in action. This is what we've predicted as a result of climate change, uh, more flooding amongst other extreme weather events. And now we're seeing flooding occur with with greater frequency, greater intensity across the country.
3: Uh, Blair, I just uh, spent several days in the United States and uh, was uh, spending time visiting with uh, a new friend of mine from New Orleans. And she has had to essentially rebuild her life three times since 2005. And at every turn, her terms of her insurance changed to the point last time she was devastated to learn what wasn't covered. So, is that what it's going to take for some folks uh, to understand what's going on here? That it's going to end up being a, a pain in the pocketbook to to understand what's happening here and to take it seriously.
6: Uh, the short answer is yes, and 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 and, and uh, insurance being affected due to extreme weather risk and particularly flooding is, uh, you know, that's a reality on the ground right now. Over the last six years in Canada, uh, across the country as as a whole, insurance premiums, residential uh, home insurance premiums have increased by about 20 to 25% uh, over six years. And over a little, about 50 to 60% of that increase is due to flooding and flooding basements. The number one cost of climate change in Canada right now, by far, is residential basement flooding. And uh, so the insurance premiums are up as a reflection of the increasing risk. And also a phenomenon we have in the country right now, literally from Halifax to to Victoria, is growth in the uninsurability of the housing market in pockets and locations within cities that are at high risk due to flooding, that when people's insurance comes up for renewal, sometimes they're surprised to find out they can't get coverage for water. They can still get theft and and fire coverage, but they may not be able to get coverage for water damage in the basement, which, by the way, is rather expensive. The average cost of a flooded basement in Canada right now is about uh, weather-induced flooding for a basement is $43,000. So if you didn't have, you don't have insurance coverage or you have a low cap limit on your insurance coverage, it could be, it can be pretty costly.
2: Should more people be buying flood insurance regardless of whether or not they live next to water? I mean, I guess the like you just referenced, some simply are ineligible for that, but for those who are eligible for it, should they, more people be thinking about getting flood insurance? Yes.
6: Short answer is yes. And then they, sh- and it comes in two forms, uh, primarily one is coverage for sewer backup. It's, it's water uh, uh, scouring through the uh, sewer system when the big storms hit and, and flowing up into your basement through the little drain in the basement that's normally there for if you uh, take water away if your dishwasher overflowed. So that's called sewer backup coverage. You have to select for that. And then the other form of by which water can enter the basement uh, en masse is if uh, is called overland flooding and that would be if a big storm occurred and water flowed through the side window of your basement into the basement that's a different form of coverage so to start with though i would say for most people like listening right now call your insurance broker and find out what insurance coverage do you actually have for your home the vast majority of people when disaster strikes and they've got a basement full of water they have no idea if they have coverage uh, insurance coverage and if so what's the nature of their coverage
4: yeah, people make an assumption I think, and they don't know until after something terrible happens. But that helps you after a flood, and it might not even help you. Your insurance might not even help you. What about preventing some of the risk? You talked about overland flooding, flash flooding. It's not just about rivers rising. You could just have a major storm and be in serious trouble. So, what can I do as a homeowner?
6: Yeah. So, so right now, and that, and and by the way, you're hitting a, a very major or key point, and that is people have to understand that just because you know they don't live close to a flowing water system. They shouldn't think that they're not vulnerable to flooding because across the country right now, increasingly so, we, we experience events of water bombs like high intensity rainfall events in discrete locations where you might get 120 millimeters of water come down over a five, four or five hour period in a, in a community causing flooding. And that and that flooding will occur whether or not there's running you know, a stream around or, or not. So what should people do? Number one, uh, they should check their sub pump. If they have a sub pump in the basement, a little pump in a well in the basement where water would collect, check that sub pump to make sure it actually runs, that it's not seized. Pour a bucket of water in the sump well, and see does the sub pump turn on and pump water outside. If it does, that's good. If it doesn't, then you want to, you know, correct it and correct it quickly. You want to make sure you have battery backup supply for your sub pump because. The time you need uh, the, the sub-pump to work is when the big storms hit, and very often when the big storms hit, the electricity goes out. So you want a battery backup supply kit, which is a couple hundred dollars, that'll run the sub-pump for up to two, three days uh, in, the, uh, in the absence of electricity supply, which right now in, in British Columbia, that's killing a lot of people in terms of basement flooding, is that the electricity is out in their sub-pumps. For those that have them, they're, they're not working. Um Even things, actions as simple as putting plastic covers over window wells and sealing window wells at grade level, at at the ground level. Put plastic covers over those, seal those window wells so that the light can come through, but the water, uh, when the big storms hit, the water can't fill the window well and subsequently uh, flow into your basement. And by the way, with the plastic cover over the window well the house will still be safe in the sense that if someone was trying to escape from the basement during a fire, this, this stuff is very light material. It just punches out very, very quickly. So my point being, there's a lot of things that people can do around their home literally over a weekend that on a scale of 0 to 100, 100 being the worst for basement flooding. They can take their home from an 80 down to a 20 just in a, in a matter of two days of effort.
2: Blair Feldmate, head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate the time. Oh, you're certainly welcome. Anytime. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Lorraine, we got a couple of uh, provincial newsers today, including the Premier.
4: Defenson. And the health care minister, Audrey Gordon, and Dr. Joss Reimer, who, of course, is on the vaccine task force, the head of that task force. They're holding a news at 2 o'clock and they want to talk about sort of the next steps uh, in the vaccine rollout and what might be coming. So they'll be sharing more with us on that at 2 p.m. And then, of course, at 12.30, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Brent Rusin with another COVID-19 update. That might be include more questions around numbers and strategies we're we're using to try to get those numbers down and making sure we're doing all we can. In this COVID fight. So Dr. Brent Rusen 1230 and the premier and co-company at 2 p.m.
2: Also, we're asking you at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win SmackDown tickets Friday night. SmackDown January 21st. Tickets go on sale Friday, by the way. But you can take advantage of a pre-sale that starts today at 10 and ends tomorrow night at 10. And uh, the code word for that is Smack. Uh, Ticketmaster, uh, we're asking you to tell us a story about something dumb you did at work. Just like, oh, well, you may accident or a whoops, or you just something slipped your mind, but it gave your boss a headache. Uh, Greg, what have we got?
3: Well, we've got all sorts of text message here. How about this one? I uh, was doing a camera install on a motorway. The pole it goes on is 15 meters tall and folds down to 7.5 meters so that the camera can be lowered to the ground using a rope. Installed a, an $8,000 camera on the pole. Then had my apprentice raise the pole again. Told him as it swivels up, it will lose tension for a second as it travels through its arc. Told him, whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. Sure enough, as soon as it lost tension, he let go of the rope. The final outcome, the pole turned into a giant catapult and an eight thousand dollar camera went flying through the air and oh into gosh. the middle of a
2: motorway
4: <laughs> oh my i'm gosh. sure it survived <laughs> Man, lucky it didn't hurt anyone like think about that landing in front of your car or on your car
2: oh wow Two zero four didn't our, our super mega boss brent didn't he have a situation with a camera in the ocean or something
4: I told you I'm not going there this morning, man. Not putting the bosses under the bridge. (laughs) They're listening. I don't need that. No, thank you. All
2: right. It's time to talk Jets. Weekly Jets chat brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. Southbeachcasino.ca. Last night at Canada Life Center, the Winnipeg Jets were looking to close out their season-long seven-game homestand with yet another win.
1: Hustling to it on the far side is Shapley. He'll force a play. It's put back out in front. Morrissey back door and
2: a shot. They score!
1: Pierre-Luc Dubois redirected that Morrissey shot back door. It's a power play goal.
3: Paul Edmonds with the call on the eventual game-winning goal from PLD. Full version of the sounds of the game coming up in about 15 minutes' time. And the Jets end up. With eleven out of a possible fourteen points on this homestand, Loren, I think we can say not too shabby.
4: Yeah, that game was fun to watch last night, and you know, I know Coach Maurice said to us yesterday that he just glances at the standings, but doesn't give them a lot of thought at this point in the year. But here they are. We're in the Central Division, of course. We're one point ahead of the Minnesota Wild, sitting alone in first place. And we're joined now by hockey insider and an integral member of our Jets coverage here on CJOB, John Shannon. Good morning, John.
7: Morning, folks. How are you?
4: We are well. I just said it was uh, well worth uh, watching and staying up for that game last night. And 15 games in by any measure, the Jets have taken advantage of home ice seven one and one on the season. Like, what's the key to that in your view, in terms of just having that success here at home?
7: Well, I really think it, I think what uh, the additions of Schmidt and Dylan have done have created some depth there. Moved uh, guys like uh, Logan Stanley and. Uh, uh, Dylan DeMello into their right number three spot. Connor Hellebuck has done a really good job. So in many ways, it's, uh, it's the one thing that I think everybody realizes the Jets have, and that is depth. Uh, the depth of this whole club becomes so impressive. Maybe the deepest team in the National Hockey League when you put the 18 skaters and two goalies uh, on, on the roster. Then you combine that with uh, outstanding early play of guys like Andrew Kopp, uh, then this team deserves to be at the top of the Central.
3: Yeah, Kyle connor has been outstanding as well. And yesterday, John, we spoke with Paul Maurice, and one of the things we asked him about was the emergence of Pierre-Luc Dubois as the player. So many believe the Jets were getting almost a calendar year ago. How important has his play been in this oh. start for the Jets?
7: Well, Integro, when you consider that Blake Wheeler and uh, Mark Scheifele haven't been able to score as much as they should, if at all, um and we probably shouldn't be surprised last year was such a strange year anyway last season was such a strange season um and everything that Dubois went through with quarantining with injury with the trade with a relationship with John Tortorella early uh in in that season um his head must have been spinning by the end of the year and to have an off a proper offseason uh, and to be able to get his know his teammates and get back to some level of normalcy in a dressing room and normalcy in travel, uh, we're now seeing the real Pierre-Luc Dubois.
2: Connor, Hellebuck looks as though he's finding his form as well. His stats took a beating in his first handful of games, but lately he's been rock solid. Seven total goals against in his last four starts, three wins, a shootout loss. So in your opinion, where does Hellebuck rank on the list of NHL goaltenders?
7: Uh, well, I think he's going to the Olympics for the Americans. If that answers your question, I mean that uh, that's how good he is, and that's how good USA hockey think he is. Um, yeah, uh, there are times, you know, uh, I, I think Hellebuck gets taken for granted uh, because of everything else this team does, and everything that uh, the the team does uh, on both sides of the puck. That it's just well, Connors back there, he'll he'll stop it. Uh, he'll make that move. He's, you know, he, he, he's getting into a pantheon of a lot of really good goaltenders or great goaltenders that uh, they become so integral that we forget talking about them as much. Uh, that- last night was a good example. Last night was a good example. There were times, particularly in the second half of the game when the Oilers were pressing, um, that he made some amazing saves look simple.
3: Yeah, sorry, John, I wasn't trying to interrupt you there, but I think that's sometimes the point with a goaltender. There are certain positions, uh, certain players on the ice, the less you talk about them, the the better. And Hellebuck's, uh, you know, his, his contributions to the Jets, sometimes I, I agree with you, go unnoticed. Another place that maybe was a, a void, and you mentioned Dylan and Schmidt coming in, and we spoke to Maurice about that yesterday as well. But the Jets are getting points from the blue line this year, something which was all too infrequent the past two seasons and three of the team's top eight point getters are D-men. Why are points from the point so important in the NHL?
7: Well, here's what's happened in the last 15 years of the game. And Paul's a big advocate of this is is that this is a game of transition. This is a game, not of, you know, big wingers going down and shooting the puck or, or creating traffic in front of goalies. It's getting the puck out of your own zone first. And who's responsible for the responsible guys like Josh Morrissey and Schmidt and Neil Pionk do what they have to do. Uh, you are going to see them near the, the top of the scoring list. Josh Morrissey, again, I, I might put him in the uh, in the hellebuck category, category um, when it comes to acknowledging how good he is. And I, I don't think Jets fans uh, take advantage of him. I think the rest of the league doesn't really understand how good Josh Morrissey is uh and and what he does to a team and and at both ends of the ice and the fact that he can move the puck and skate so uh easily uh is so important to what the jets have done.
3: the revelation last night in the post-game interviews that josh morrissey's nickname amongst the jets john is jay movechkin uh, play. <laughs> so, he's got a killer shot. John, thanks for this as always. Uh, Jets back on the ice tomorrow night in Edmonton. Uh, should be as intriguing a matchup, uh, maybe even more so after last night's result. We always appreciate you. Thank you.
2: Cheers. We just wanted to quickly touch, Loren, on the latest from StatsCan on inflation.
4: Yeah, and I think this is just going to be the story for the next few months in terms of the annual inflation rate increases and what we're seeing. I mean, last n- month we talked about how the inflation rate, you know, year over year had risen by 4.4 percent well this month this sorry october it's risen by 4.7 percent compared to last year and that's the biggest consumer price index we've seen since february of 2003 so you have to go back 18 years to see hikes like these and you know they're talking about gasoline prices contributing again to the problem that's why we're seeing uh, these kinds of increases and if you exclude the energy prices stats canada says the consumer price index would have been up just 3.3 percent last month compared to last next year. But man, that's still a 3% hike year over year. That's more than anyone's, you know, pay grades are going upgrade. That doesn't cover all sorts of different things that we're also keeping our eye on, like electricity rate increases or other. And so I think there's just a lot every single month we'll be talking about inflation rates and just what we're seeing on the shelves
3: yeah and uh, yesterday or the day before manitoba hydro again looking for a five percent increase in electricity rates uh starting january 1st that on the heels of a, a rate increase i think that kicked in in september already so you know the price of everything seems to be going up wages certainly are not keeping up to those changes, and Brett, uh, you know there are going to be some tough choices for for lots of people coming up over the next
2: several months, maybe even the next year or two. Well, I notice that every time I go buy groceries, I'll grab a handful of things and then I'll ring it up and I'll kind of look at the price and go, "Really?" Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. clearly, I'm not paying attention to what the t- the tag is at the shelf. There are certain things that I just need, and I don't doesn't matter what the price is. But then I went to even the places like I went to A W the other day. I bought two bur- two Papa Burgers. And a large fries. And I think it cost me $23. Yeah. And I thought, really? So everything's just expensive now. So that was a a bad... I paid for that anyway. I didn't feel great after that. You (laughs) paid twice. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, beef is up. That's a big increase. And I think a lot of produce is up for some people, depending on where you're shopping and buying. And I honestly really do think it'll change how people... What they consume over the winter, you might be just doing things differently, whether that's switching to frozen or canned or, you know, other things, Greg, that might make a difference to that bottom line. Yeah. It will be noticeable. No
3: question. And I think the the choices with regard to staples versus, you know, needs and wants. Right. that list is going to have to be created either physically or in your head a little more often you're not just going to be able to and i think we've a lot of us have been guilty of this during the pandemic if we've had the means to do so ah, i'm gonna treat myself to this i'm gonna do that damn the cost right and uh now because so many of us have done that here we are and of course we have the shortage of certain goods and supplies that isn't helping things either so lots of conversation around that over the over the coming weeks and months.
2: Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, phone lines are open. We have tickets to give away for Colin James, the Open Road Tour, Burton Cummings Theatre, March 1st. Tickets go on sale Friday at LiveNation.com, but you can call us right now at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win. Well, we're getting some people on the line. We also have SmackDown tickets to give away at 9.15 based on your texts on... Things that you kind of screwed up at work that gave your boss a massive headache, like Aaron Loren.
4: I was in my late teens. I was working at Tim Hortons. I was a bridesmaid for my aunt and had gel nails done for the wedding. I went into work one day and my boss asked me to mix a new batch of ice cappuccino for the machine. As I opened the bucket, one of my nails popped off into the pail of mix. We had to dump the whole thing. Needless to say, my boss was not happy with me and told me, the nails better be gone before I come back. I I have to be honest, as I was reading that story, I was like, please, 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 please tell me you did not, not tell anyone, right? Like... Right. Please tell me you dumped that pail as opposed to just stirring in that gel nail into the cappuccino mix. So I guess the right thing happened there.
3: What did Monica or Phoebe lose in the lasagna when they were catering an event at her mom's place? And, and, oh, yes. and, and her mom always used to say, oh, you monica did
4: it. <laughs> I thought Rachel, well, someone left an engagement ring. Uh, it was a ring in the lasagna Was it
2: the ring in the lasagna?
4: Oh
3: yeah.
2: Oh, there we yeah. go. Look I'm, at that. Well, and Greg, you I mean you I think you've worked in situations where b- b- glasses have been broken right by the ice oh, machine or the ice tray.
3: Oh, in the middle of a busy night, there's nothing worse. I used to be on bartenders all the time as a manager and then I would do it myself putting glasses to scoop the ice without using an actual ice scoop, and then you realize that the glass is broken or you drop a glass into the ice bin, you've got to clean it all out. You've got to you wash it, remove all the ice, and then refill it. That is an absolute disaster on a
2: busy night. Yikes. So we'll share more of your stories coming up, but right now we got to give away those Colin James tickets, and here is your question. If you can answer this question, then the tickets could be yours. One in four people between the ages of 18 and 24, say they do not own one of these. What is it? Paul. Hi there. Hey, uh, well, that's a tough one. What, what, they don't own a car? No. That's a good guess, though. It's an expensive purchase, right? And a lot of people just don't want to do the, you know, like the beater car, right? The, the... Crappy cars, the rite of passage for many, a lot of, are, are probably just saying, oh, now I'll wait until I can afford a decent one. Sarah? Yes? One in four people between the ages of 18 and 24 say they don't own one of these. What is it? Um, is it a cell phone? No. No, not a cell phone. How old are you, Loren, when you got your first cell phone?
4: Oh, I want to say uh, I had a friend who worked at future shop that's not a thing anymore i'm gonna guess and i got one of those old like half a foot long cell phones around 22 okay i want to say it was ridiculously expensive how long was it like you know it wasn't like like a half a foot like it was long and and like thick and heavy like it was weighed down the purse (laughs) it probably wasn't that much bigger than your normal like your iphones and samsungs now though if i think about it like some of them can be pretty large those phones
2: rod do you know what it is oh i'm gonna say bicycle a bicycle? No. That's a good guess. I haven't mm-hmm. had owned a I think the last time I actually rode a bike I was 15. Sean, do you know what it is? How about a book? Say that again? A book? Sean! Book. One in four people between the ages of 18 and 24 do not own a book. Wow. Exactly my reaction. I couldn't believe
3: it. I'm like, wait, that has to be the question.
2: (laughs) Sean, can you believe it? No. Yeah. I don't think I own a book either. What? (laughs) How old are you, Sean? Uh, 48. Not one book in your home? Never. Oh, you're
4: joking.
7: I might have one, but I don't read it. <laughs> okay, Sean, I can't I'm gonna... <laughs> take
4: this. I need his address. Don't just get his information. I need the address, and I'm sending books to your house.
7: Sean, I'm gonna Stress put you on hold.
2: Sean is going to Colin James, but yeah, a book that's yeah, almost unbelievable, isn't it? Now, the brand I know you read more than uh Greg and I combined by just yes. s- streets ahead, but uh, so how many books would do you own?
4: Well, I have the Kindle. So I have like hundreds of books on the Kindle, you know, as an e-reader, but I do still prefer like the hard copy of books. So most of the books I have now actually come because like, you know, we'll interview them. I have, you know, a bunch of David Robertson books who, by the way, won a governor general, Award today for That's his right. uh, book for kids. Uh, so I, we should mention that. But he's he's a wonderful local author. So I don't own a ton of. I mean, there's still at least a hundred or so books in the house. And in fact, some of them I keep. I have them in a box because I love them too much to give them away. Like they're prized possessions. Like if the thought of dropping them off somewhere, because they meant so much to me to read at the time, yeah, that I will not give them away. You're because, keeping
3: the knowledge all to yourself. Do you I do Keeping know. it trapped. In a cardboard love, it, box.
4: It's almost like music, you know, when music reminds you of a Selfish. time. Okay, dig it down. I might send up some to Sean, though. Is it Sean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean, um, Sean. It's like music, you know, when it brings you back to a time that's a p- good memory. You might not listen to that song regularly anymore, but as soon as you hear it, you get these great memories. Mm. Flat. So the book, when I see it, will remind me of oh, that's you know that's when I was traveling or on this plane or when I went yep. there or when I was with my family or I, when I was. 18 and happy or 24 and sad. You know, like it's all, it's all important to me. They're like little diaries, yeah, even that's, though I didn't write them.
3: That's like The Alchemist for me. That, that, that's a very good example. When I read The Alchemist, it, I really needed to read it. So I, I, can, I can identify with that. And um, a torrent of texts. We are being admonished here by our listeners. Guys, it was Monica's nail in the quiche and Ross's engagement ring for Emily that the duck ate Come on.
4: <laughs> wow. Okay. Whatever.
2: So. <laughs> I not even remember. I'm sorry. Uh, so congratulations, Sean, going to call in James, and a reminder that we've got those SmackDown tickets to give away at 9.15 based on your text messages on um, workplace situations or disasters that gave your boss a massive headache like uh, GMAC. We got one from uh, an engineering department.
3: Yeah, this was great. So uh, this is from a regular texter, Rick. And he says, at the time, he calls it the incident. I designed a trailer to the specifications requested by our customer. Parts were cut, parts were welded, and parts were assembled. After completion... And shipment of the drop deck trailer, I didn't give it a second thought. The trailer was sent to Alberta for use in the oil field industry. Obviously, the customer required measurements to be correct. Well, after the customer loaded his trailer for the first time, he immediately discovered a major error. His cargo was too long for the trailer. How could that be? Well, Rick had designed the trailer three feet too short. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about an oh my goodness mistake. Throughout the process of building this unit, no one noticed this mistake. Thankfully, I wasn't fired. The customer received another trailer and life continued on. I am still employed by this company. Wow. Close to 35 years now. I'm thankful for a second chance.
2: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, the rain might have stopped, but the rescues and evacuations continue in B.C.'s Fraser Valley following record floods.
4: Just imagine the toll this is taking mentally, physically, emotionally, of course, to the bottom line as well. The cleanup, they're putting that in the billion-dollar zone. And then, of course, the supply chain issue, Greg, with all the major routes between the interior and Vancouver closed might lead to some panic buying as well.
3: Global's Emily Lazzaton joins us now from Abbotsford and Abbotsford. Emily, I can only imagine what you're seeing. Can you describe the scenes that you have witnessed for yourself, for our listeners this morning?
8: Right now, right now, uh, we are at City Hall uh, waiting for a presser, but I've been here the last couple of days. And, um, you know, a lot of Abbotsford, the Sumas Prairie, so we're about uh, 50 kilometers from the lower mainland here. A lot of it is farmland. And so the low-lying areas are just flooded. And to paint a picture for you, yesterday we were at a, a large city park, Delair Park, and, um, there's a, there's a baseball field there. There are tennis courts and, um, not that they should be doing this, but people were out with their kayaks. Um, kayaking on a field. That's how deep the water uh, is right now. And the issue, the big issue why we're in Abbotsford for today is uh, there is risk of the Barrowtown pump station failing. Now, the Seymour Ferry area used to be a lake back in the 1920s, and there's there's a risk it, it could well become a lake again um the problem right now is it, the water coming into the station from Fraser is it's just too much to handle already and if, if it fails there's four pump stations there if it fails uh the whole sumas prairie will be in just great danger and uh, the issue also is that you can understand about 300 farmers uh, in that area are refusing to leave because you know they want to save their, their livestock their cattle their chickens um so right now uh that is where we are in abbotsford bc we're expecting an update at 7:30 today um the province has asked for military help so uh that's just sort of gives you an idea of the, the situation we're in here
2: so you say some farmers are refusing to leave what are other residents telling you
8: uh, well you know a lot, there's there's been a lot of watch going on because abbotsford there's there's low-lying areas and there that people can get onto the higher road but Another issue here is Highway 1, and there have been, yesterday there were thousands of people stuck, uh, you know, car, uh, thousands of people stuck, around 500 cars stuck around Highway 1. They blocked off this peninsula uh, on a major road, Whatcom Road, and, uh, you know, just imagine pooling water and people stuck in their cars, sleeping overnight, but yet uh, good Samaritans coming in with their, their small dingy boats and just, Boating people over from these low-lying areas back to the higher road. Uh, one guy showed up in his hovercraft, uh, willing to help people. But uh, and, and you know, I should say the situation in BC. I'm, I'm sure you know it's it's not just Abbotsford. We have Merritt uh, heading to the interior where there uh, half of the, basically the city was underwater. You had about a, a hundred uh, semi trucks there, deliveries, drivers. Where there's dwindling food supply because it's just cut off from everybody else then you move over to Princeton where uh gosh uh, also there half the city is underwater it's receding but the big issue there's there's no heat a gas line was damaged and there's plunging temperatures right now um our cola highway snapped into a portion of it and people are wondering they want answers of course how long is it going to take between um for people when they can head east and west again and really the province is saying Anywhere from hours to days to months because uh, the damage is just so catastrophic in many parts of B.C. Uh,
4: Just one last question before we let you go. And Uh, thank you for painting such a great picture, Emily, because it really just is it's hard to imagine. mm -hmm. Even when you see it, you can't believe it. uh, The images you've been providing on Global B.C. and Global National. Is the water coming down then or receding if the rain has stopped or is it still rising in some parts because of where you might live? You know, maybe coming off the mountains or coming in from over the riverbanks.
8: So it really depends where you are. So, for instance, there was some good news in Merritt uh, yesterday where the water was receding here in Abbotsford. So uh, the, 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 a lot of the flooding is coming from the U.S., the Nookzak River. Right now, when we're talking about the pump station, uh, if this pump station fails, the Sumas Prairie will literally flood with water from the Fraser River, and that is the huge danger, and that is that is why there's this huge urgency that the message is that right now life is, more important than livestock but again there are people who just you know it's their livelihood they're trying to save their livelihood but um we're doing every they're doing everything they can to get the message out to just leave because if if these pump stations fail like i can't even imagine what what the cms prairie would look like it, because we've seen what it looks like now in a matter of hours uh i, I don't know if you've seen the pictures or something but in a matter of hours uh the 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 water levels have just risen so much
2: Global's Emily Lazatin joining us live from Abbotsford. Thank you very much. We appreciate this. You're welcome. Talk to you. And you can get more at globalnews.ca, cjob.com. If you're on social media, Global BC on Instagram has been posting a lot of pictures and video, just horrifying stuff, and what she just described about the threat of even more flooding. Uh, troubling to say the least greg
3: yeah no no doubt and um you know it's not often i tell you to listen to a different radio station but i'm going to if you have friends family dramatic interest in what's going on in british columbia cknw on the radio player canada app i listened to it for a couple of hours yesterday because i have lots of friends lots of family in british columbia and this this is this is horrifying what's going on there
2: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we got SmackDown tickets to give away based on your texts and the things—the dumb things that we've done at work that have aggravated your boss, given your boss a headache. And Tara actually w- weighed in after we, we just sort of talked about how, like, calling in sick when you're not sick. And Tara says that she got away with this one at an old job. Boyfriend and I had planned a trip to another province, but I couldn't get the time off because everything was already booked. We decided to go ahead with the trip. We flew out, and after I landed, I called work crying, saying I had a death in the family. Oh, my. I told them it was out of province, so I wouldn't be in for a week. No, no, no. Everyone bought it, and we had a wonderful trip. I went back to work when we got home. Everyone at work was so sympathetic, and they bought me a sympathy card. I'm no longer at that job. No, no one knows what happened, I guess, until now. Oh, jeez. Tara. No, who did you, say?
4: No. No. Did you oh. say died? You know, like, and then the car, like, I just, the car, I just couldn't. Like
5: Mm-mm.
4: I don't. I wouldn't even want to say my kid was sick because then I'd be like, well, what if he? Then I, you know, like the, the then he'll then he will get sick or something. Just the I, I'm too. Oh boy, yeah. I'm comfortable right now.
2: <laughs> I told her, Tara, you sneaky brat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Loren, why don't we go, jump ahead to uh, Jill's text here?
4: Jill was great. My husband was working for a contracting company they sent a guy out to remove a chimney and patch up a roof the guy comes back at the end of the day and says the job was went well but the neighbor watched him through the window for the whole day the customer then calls up and asks what's going on That he saw him doing his neighbor's house but they never came to do his always check the house number before starting the job wow oh, like ah, just repairing ah, a yes. removing a chim- chimney for no reason like what did the other guy say yeah
3: i've done that i cleaned the wrong eaves troughs at a house on strathcona once yeah, you did you, did
5: you really
4: oh, Yeah. <laughs>
3: whoops did they were they happy they did were we? very happy <laughs>
4: they didn't want to pay for the service that's different though like that's like you did that did the guy at the other house want his chimney removed no, probably not.
2: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> uh, but Greg, why don't you read? Uh, we, we had a tough one uh, picking this one, oh, but yes. uh, this one kind of a black cloud that remains. First company lunch in the insurance industry. Fresh out of high
3: school, ordered a Reuben. And a lobster tail at Ray and Jerry's. Didn't think twice as my grandparents always took me there and I never even knew Price existed. (laughs) Didn't hear about that fact and that was a brow razor until 12 years later. Same boss, brought it up about what a big no-no that was and how strange and expensive an order it was. Yeah, no kidding. Now, tells the story to insurance professionals when we are at business lunches
2: still. (laughs) So, Brett slash Brettony, that is the winning text and you're going to see Smackdown. Okay, I don't Order the lobster ever? What would a lobster tail cost? Like if you went to a place like Ray and Jerry's and order a lobster like tail? Like thirty
4: oh, bucks? At oh least. yeah,
2: even
3: even fifteen years ago would have been 30, 35 bucks for oh, sure. Oh wow,
2: yes. So a Reuben I- and a lobster tail?
3: Yeah, yeah. That's the classic combination. Haven't you heard of that one? <laughs> I'm order. I'm opening a Reuben and lobster tail <laughs> restaurant
4: tomorrow. <laughs> I'm trying to look this up now. Uh, Broiled lobster tail. Oh, MP. What does that mean? Market price. They won't even tell
3: you how much it is until they bring the bill. That's how much it costs. Oh, boy. So, Brett,
2: <laughs> congratulations. That's you,
4: a great restaurant. I actually think you should do this.
2: I, and I said, I did ask him, how's the Reuben? I like a good Reuben. He said it was awesome.
4: Oh, so. You could also do like a shrimp pizza slash Reuben lobster tail restaurant. And that's it. That's all, that's all we're having. That's all Greg's offering.
3: And no pickles anywhere. <laughs>
2: MacLing, McGarry, and McNabb's social media. Of course, it's a popular place to harvest and present news stories, to share life's events, to take the temperature on a variety of opinions, on a variety of topics. Like if I want to go on Twitter and say, eat more, Delicious or garbage. (laughs) Um, But it's also a place to get worked up and to potentially get incredibly misled.
3: Yeah, I noticed last night, even as British Columbia has its second once-in-a-lifetime weather event in the past six months, there are arguments to be found over the cause and even what a reasonable reaction to these events should look like. As we continue our battle with COVID-19, Loren, I think it's safe to say scientists may feel as though science itself... Is under attack from certain factions on social media and elsewhere. And there is no shortage of misinformation and disinformation flowing on the internet and social media sites. So our next guest decided that he had had enough of one particular post on Twitter from somebody who didn't exactly have their facts straight the other night.
4: So Jason Tetro is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. He's also known as the Germ Guy. Good morning, Jason.
5: Hey, good morning.
4: Just for everyone's background, for people who are maybe listening or hearing your name for the first time, just walk us through your relationship with science. What do you do?
5: Well, I have been uh, involved in scientific research uh, for about 30 years now. Started in the 1980s looking. You remember that um, uh, tainted tuna scandal? Uh, I mean, I don't know if any of you are actually old enough to remember that, but I worked on that. And then over the years, worked on various different types of problems, such as HIV, uh, you know, environmental research with antibiotic resistance, and of course, emerging pathogens. So, you know, I I did my time with SARS and and H1N1 pandemic, and when COVID came around, um, it was just something that uh, for me was like, oh, here we go again. But because it was so unprecedented for everybody else, it was like there was this explosion of not only um, concern and questioning, but also misinformation and disinformation, because uh, after all, they're out for chaos, right?
2: So social media, I mean, it's become decidedly unsocial, anti-social. COVID Mm -hmm. has helped take that to an entirely different level. Now, we noticed that you took on somebody who started off a string Mm -hmm. of posts with, I just can't with these people anymore. They shriek about science, yet get mad when presented with, drumroll, actual science. So do you mind giving us an overview of what went on in that back and forth?
5: Yeah, well, actually, believe it or not, this is how it goes with pretty much any of these um, antis, as I like to call them. Uh, I've dealt with this with antibiotic resistance. I've dealt with this with other vaccinations. And so what it does is it starts off with um, someone complaining, I've had enough of these scientists. I've had enough of the science. They've got it wrong. They're delusional. They don't know what they're talking about. And what you do is when you engage them, what you want to do is find out what it is that's bugging them, right? Right. And they have an algorithm that they follow. Believe it or not, it's like a standard operating procedure for the antis. And so they'll go through a variety of different things to try and make you look bad in terms of the science. And for me, since I've been doing this all, most of my life, I basically already have the papers in line so that whenever they come with me with something, I provide them with something, including a reference. And as that progresses, it gets to a point where they're empty. And at the end of the, sort of at the end of their SOP, it is go after them personally. And when they do that, then basically all I say to them is, well, thank you so much, because now you've allowed me to share all of this wonderful information with the people who are sort of watching this thread, and all you've done is basically shown yourself to be a troll, and then usually I get blocked, which yeah. is exactly what happened. Wow.
3: <laughs> So, you know, misinformation, disinformation, I'll maybe get you to, before I ask you this next question, what's the difference between the two, Jason?
5: So misinformation is basically um, misguiding, right? And what you're trying to do in this particular case is use a little bit of science or a little bit of evidence, but provide a different type of conclusion so that you sort of look at it and then you go, "Mm, I'm not so sure about that. So it's really there to provide doubt disinformation is just straight out lying Mm -hmm. in the hopes of trying to get to sway you towards an ideological opinion, i.e. vaccines are bad because vaccines kill people. No, they don't kill people. But this is what happens. And so what you have to do is you have to realize that if it's misinformation, then it's a matter of correcting. If it's disinformation, then what you have to do is just flood them with all the really good information so that they have no choice but to run away.
3: Well, you have far more patience than I. It's all (laughs) exhausting. And I suspect you could spend your entire day interjecting yourself into these conversations. So how do you decide when to
5: get involved? So the way it works for me, and, and I would recommend this to anybody who's out there who sort of sees a troll and goes, Ur, um, look at how many other people are on the, uh, on the thread and see how many of them have an actual influence in society. Because remember, Twitter, as much as it is sort of what we all talk about, still is only 4% of the population right? Um, and so what you want to do is you want to see who's watching this that has some kind of impact in the development of policy, uh, maybe in the development of some kind of media discussion like we're having today, and then you start getting involved. Most of the time when I see these types of trollings going on, it's usually, you know, limited to two people yelling and screaming at each other. Eh, I'm not interested in that. But when you ha- and remember, this all started as a result of one of our best colleagues, Jody Vance. We all know her, we all love her, and this person was going after her directly. So immediately I knew that there was going to be a wide audience. And that's one of the reasons why I interjected, because now there's probably about 20 papers out there. People understand the linkages between other vaccines and the COVID vaccine and what it actually means when we talk about, um, you know, the, the fact that it doesn't prevent infection, it doesn't actually prevent spread, et cetera, et cetera, and how that actually transpires as opposed to the misinformation that they provide.
4: It's fascinating because I think all of us have been through this scenario before Mm-hmm. And I by all of us, I mean, not just Greg, Brett, and myself, but the audience in terms of whether, no matter where you sit on how you feel about this, you know, you feel like you have to step in and say something. Yeah. Uh, you're talking, though, sometimes that, you know, these are strangers, but you're still feeling compelled to reach out. And I had a friend the other day talk about someone on Facebook that was driving them nuts with this an opinion on this exact topic. And then she realized, I haven't talked to this person in years. Like, why do I care so much? But you <laughs> care because it means something to you when things are spread falsely.
5: Yeah. And that is also, you know, a driving force behind why the antis do what they do, because they're waiting for an emotional response. They're waiting for you to fight. They're waiting for you to blow up at them because then they win. And that's the whole reason behind the patience, because when you have the ability to just stay neutral, stay objective, provide information, et cetera, et cetera, then what you essentially do is you're taking away their power by not giving them that fight. So I really sort of suggest or, or recommend to people that even though you may have that gut reaction of, oh, I've got to do something about this, take a deep breath. Because at the end of the day, okay, you are going to have an impact on the majority of people who are within your circle and within your followers. And when you understand that, you can make a difference to them. Don't worry about trying to save the entire world. I certainly don't. And if you do start to get upset or something, DM a friend and just say, can you get, can you get a load of this guy? Um, I, I have friends all over the world, and it's really funny because I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get a DM and they'll show me something. I'm just like, ooh. And then we actually talk about how we would you know, deal with that if it was in a situation where there were people watching who could influence the development of policy.
2: Jason Tetra is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show, also known as the Germ Guy. And Jason, one of the things that the last 20 months or so has taught me as it pertains to social media and even our very own text line at 204-780-6868 is patience because I used to be that guy who would blow his top and want to do so publicly and I've learned to just dial it back because it's really not worth wasting that kind of energy on, but... There is still the odd time where I do want to blow my top. So, you know, you've shown that you've got patience, but is there anything that makes you start frothing at the mouth?
5: Yes. (laughs) 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 I'm not sure I want to share that because the the trolls are going to come after me. But what I will tell you is this. when I see something whereby there is not only an attack on the science, but there's an attack on the scientist in, an order, in order to try and silence that individual, mm-hmm. that's usually when I'm like, eh, no, you're going down. And that is when I basically use my own standard operating procedure to frustrate them to the point that they have to disappear. And so, yeah, if you go after any of my friends who happen to be, you know, really influential or helping to make this world a better place, um, you might end up finding yourself up against me.
3: Can you give us 30 seconds on this one? Here's an example on our text line. Mm -hmm. Statement of a vaccine hasn't killed somebody is false. Does that classify as misinformation? I don't think that's what you said about vaccines, Jason.
5: No, it's not. And the thing is, is that that's what they tend to do is they tend to try and exaggerate. Um, at the end of the day, when you actually look at the potential causes of death and when you look at VAERS, okay, which is, of course, what they're going to tell you, oh, my goodness, there were thousands of deaths on VAERS. Well, what you have to realize is that VAERS actually re- um, records every adverse event for 28 days after a vaccination. And then what they do is they have a system whereby they go backwards and they look at what the cause of the injury may have been. And I think out of all the thousands, okay, there have only been three cases in which there was an individual who had died as a result of a particular vaccine. Now, granted, we do know that this has happened in other situations, especially with the clotting. um, But for the most part, vaccines really are safe.
2: All right, Jason, um,
4: go ahead. I, I was just going to say that we should just replay this, just f- f- store this audio somewhere, and then that, we'll send that out as part of our campaign going <laughs> forward. And by campaign, I just mean, you know, you're trying to help people out, and we're all learning as we go, and, and there's, there's no better way than just to keep trying, I guess.
5: The information is there. The evidence is there. Do it objectively. Don't let the anti's get you into that tirade, and we're going to win.
2: Jason Tetro, the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. He's also known as the Germ Guy. Jason, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us.
5: It was such a pleasure. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start
2: Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think.